0: Big Buck Registries, Big Buck Podcast, episode number sixteen. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level.
1: This is Rob Lucas from Chasing Tail and you're listening to Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast.
2: Big Buck Registry. woo!
0: Welcome to the show, everybody. This is Jay Sky, your host of the Big Buck Registries Big Buck Podcast, and I am joined tonight by our co-host, our uh, field representative from Ohio, Dusty Phillips, I'm from Chubby Tines Outdoors. What's happening, Dusty?
2: Hey, Jay. I'm glad to be back in the studio. We are pumped up for this podcast. We're doing tonight. It's going to be a great, great podcast. I think so too. And we have a very
0: special guest, and we'll get into that special guest in a little bit, in just a minute. But I would like to hear. Um, a little bit about what's happening in Ohio right now. Um, One of the things we asked on our Facebook page earlier on today was what's going on with the lull. Are you feeling the lull out there?
2: Yeah, we are. I think the lull is hitting the deer and I think that the uh the raccoons are, are, are live action all all evening long for sure. Okay.
0: What's going on with your
2: raccoons? Uh, 13 of them on trail camera burning me up. Can't keep them away. I got some corn down in a couple spots trying to Draw on a big, nasty, chubby tines and corns, Just the, the coons are eating the corn, tearing me up. I don't know what to do about it. So, you know, I, I've been brainstorming, trying to come up with, uh, I may have to, uh, you know, I may have to reach out to the turtle man. I, I'm not real for sure yet.
0: The turtle man would be a, an ideal situation. Uh, he is clearly skilled in this department.
2: For sure. You know, who else could you call? I, I don't know nobody else, but I know for sure that the turtle man will help me out.
0: Right. So, tell me about this, this raccoon thing. So, you've got, you've you laid out corn for the deer to come through on your cameras, right? That's correct. There's and, a couple, you know, locations where I can pick up some pictures on the pass through. Gotcha. And last night, you told me that there should be a bunch of deer coming through, and they're just not.
2: Uh, it's, it's it's, you know, everybody... It, it's a lull period, but I think that uh, the raccoons are are running any kind of deer activity off the corn that I have out. I think they're running them off. They they gang up on them, you know. Just uh, the raccoons gang up. all I can say about. It, they're just running my deer off. Hissing, growling. I'm gonna set my camera in video mode and try to get some of this action on video. I would love to see
0: that. I mean, I don't, I I haven't seen that yet, but it seems like a, 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 a what what is a group of raccoons called? Any idea? Uh, uh, hood rats, I guess. I hood remember. rats. All right. I'd like to see a, a group of hood rats chase off a, bu- <laughs> a bunch of deer who are yeah. trying to come in to feed on, on the uh, corn
2: pile. It's like, it's like they're in the ghetto and, and taking over my corn. Right.
0: It is, is uh The corn pile, is you, it's not baiting, right? It's just you're just trying to figure out if the deer are there right now.
2: Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. You know, it, it is legal to bait here in Ohio, but the yep. corn is out for, uh, you know, photo purposes. Hunting over corn is really not a fair chase. Right. Although so, you know, I,
0: I'll be honest. I've hunted over corn. I have too, and I've I was less successful than hunting not over corn.
2: Yeah, it takes a lot of traffic to get corn in and out of an area, and the more you use it, the the area the less likely to see deer is. Is kind of where I've came about with that. Mm-hmm. Dumping yeah. it out for a trail camera, it seems to work, but for some reason, I'm attracting the wrong critter. Gotcha. That's very interesting. Um, what else is going on in Ohio right now? It, we're uh, in bow season, right? Both season is full blown. Uh we got this weekend's a muzzle loader dough only harvest uh on the twelfth and thirteenth, which is Saturday and Sunday. Muzzle loader only, crops are coming down, people are starting to get some meat in the freezer. Uh, you know, I've heard a couple slickheads being uh, had the creeper laid on. And yeah, it, it's it's getting starting to get warmed up here. It's been the weather's been kind of warm. That you know, that that kills the season right now, but it's cooling off. Things are starting to heat up. I think in the next couple of weeks, we're going to see a ton of pitchers and, and a lot of people having a great kickoff to their season. Gotcha.
0: Now, when you say it's been warm, what does that mean? Because temperatures vary. I mean, everybody warm is a, a feeling. Uh, what temperatures are you seeing out there?
2: Uh, we're seeing between 65 degrees in the evening right now and high of uh, 75 to 80 during the daylight. Uh, you know, we need some – 60s during the day and low 40s in the evenings of a night to really get the deer activity you know get it get them up on their feet during daylight hours so that these hunters can have a chance at uh, a harvest gotcha so
0: it's that's yeah so the, you don't have a big variation from high lows right now
2: no it's pretty uh pretty consistent you know low 60s highs in the upper 70s lower 80s Uh, nothing major yet as far as temperature change. You know, we had bad rains come through this past weekend, Friday, Saturday. Uh, I I recorded about four and a half inches here at my place. And, uh, you know, the rain definitely slowed down the deer herds that I don't see that they like the mud too well. And, you know, crops coming off fields are muddy. It's just, uh, you know, the lull has kicked in. That's for sure. That's what I'm hearing. And we're
0: getting a lot of reports across the country of the same thing. Everybody that has reported back on the big buck registry from the question that we asked, we're getting exactly that same scenario. So everybody seems to be experiencing the lull. They're seeing some deer. I saw, actually, I was on a, a semi-highly passed, um, not a, not a high-class highway, but uh, you know a secondary highway. And And I've called you before. I've texted you before to let you know that I actually had deer passing midday. Well, today at 1110, I had a doe. And a small deer cross just behind me across this major highway, and it was uh, you know midday again. So yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure what's going on.
2: Yeah, it's just um, this time of year, it's it, It's hard to get a pattern on them. It really is. They're, yep. they're not following any kind of pattern at all.
0: Yep. They seem to be maybe joining on to some other food plots or something like that. I'm not quite sure what the, the lull is all about. Actually, I've zeroed in on a guy by the name of Kirk Miller. Who I'm going to try to get on the show who is a, a deer biologist, and he studies the lull. And I'm going to see if we can get some more information about that.
2: Yeah, you know, I I one. think uh, when you text me like that, that, uh, you know, it seems like a couple photos and some text, seems like it's in, the, it's in the same area. I think it might be time to get you a tree stand somewhere in the neck of the woods. Right. Yep, I agree. All right, so our special guest tonight, Dusty, is a
0: guy by the name of Doug Boris, and he's from Dynamic Outdoors. And he has sent me a DVD, and I've been talking to a couple of people that work for him, and I, I guess he's a... He's a, a hunter first and foremost. Um, he seems to be a pretty successful hunter. He's taken some big deer, holds some deer records and I've asked him to join our show to learn a little bit more about what he does. The DVD as, as you've seen on the cover, there's some big' there's a big deer on the front and there's some big deer on the back and I think this is worth a little further investigation, don't you?
2: Oh yeah, for sure uh, definitely some awesome deer. Uh, you know, sounds like he's got a lot going on for, uh, dynamic outdoors. Uh, you know, I'll be glad to get him on the show. Yeah. Let's do this. All right. Hey, Doug, welcome to the show.
1: Hello. Thank you guys for having
2: me. Oh, we're psyched. Um, thanks
0: for sending us the DVD and, uh, looks like you've harvested some, some huge deer in your lifetime.
1: I've been fortunate enough over the past few years to pitch a pretty good deer. Um, you know, between Mexico, Canada, and um, of course South Texas, we do a lot of hunting down in South Texas.
0: Excellent, yeah. Doug. Tell us a little bit about who you are. Um, we've uh, we know you have a, a pretty dynamic um, following. Uh, you have a Facebook page. I'm trying to learn more about Doug Boris the hunter. Where did you grow up?
1: Well, actually, uh, right here in uh, South Mississippi, Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Uh, which is about four miles. If you're familiar with Biloxi, Gulfport, that area, and I've been in, been born and raised here my whole life, so I've always been i uh, I've hunted all around the world, but um, I always came back here. So gotcha. I, I can say South Mississippi's my stomping ground, so to speak.
0: South Mississippi. Okay. I've always been fascinated with the psychology of a hunter. So, what what drew you into hunting? Did it start when you were a young boy? Did somebody teach you how to do that? Where did that develop?
1: Well, actually, right here in the South, um, I've hunted my whole life. You know, as a child growing up, and, uh, my dad got me involved in it, and my grandfather and uh, both, both you know, uh, my grandparents on both sides of my family were big hunters, and uh, it's just something I've, you know, like I say, born and raised doing. Uh, I probably started when I was about eight years old and uh, just took it from there.
0: Gotcha. Now, did you have a BB gun first?
1: Yes, <laughs> like most kids, you know, um, shooting tin cans in the backyard, that type of stuff. Yeah. And then, of course, as uh, you know, as I got a little older, my dad bought me a little single barrel twenty gauge, and then from there bought a little two forty three, and just kept graduating up. And of course, now I'm shooting a seven millimeter STW that you know, it's top of the line gun. So started at the at, you know at the bottom and worked my way up. Okay. so to speak.
0: So and it's that seems like the progression of a lot of guys, and it's how I think fathers teach their kids. And you start out small, teach them. Yes gun safety and then how to shoot and then you move up to a higher caliber and on and on and on is that the same That's thing right. that happened with you dusty
1: yeah uh, pretty sure much is. yeah yeah um like actually we used to go with my grandfather years ago and uh we'd all you know it was, was kind of funny because we'd go squirrel hunting and uh you know Of course, we look forward every summer to the you know first cool snap to go squirrel hunting, and it was pretty much a deal where we had to harvest squirrels or we ate you know potatoes, and that was it. So you had to pretty much if you didn't harvest what you was after, then you didn't get to eat much besides uh, the fried potatoes.
0: That's interesting. (laughs)
1: Pressure on to become a pretty good hunter. That's interesting. I want
0: (laughs) let's expand upon that a little bit because that's something that's an aspect of hunting that I think is important to cover, but that we we kind of overlook a lot. So a lot of hunter hunting came from necessity. and and many families, and you just developed into a good hunter, a great hunter, later in life. How important was hunting to actually putting food on the table in your household growing up?
1: Well, as a young child, it was very important. Of course, you know, as years goes on now, hunting is, you know, more of a, a recreational type thing. But back then, you know, of course, you know, you know, 30, 35, 40 years ago, it was uh, pretty much a necessity. Everybody did it down here. And, uh, you know, you, you evolved into becoming a good hunter because, like I said, for the necessity to put food on the table for your family. So, um, it's, I kind of learned, like I say, learn from the, from the best. So. Right.
0: That's pretty interesting. How your household, tell me about your household when you grew up. You grew up with a uh, mom and dad type of situation, your grandfather. Tell me about your household.
1: Yeah, it's um I got one sister, and of course grew up with my mom and dad and then uh my dad was a big hunter. His dad was a big hunter of course all the way down through the family. And uh of course, you know, my my sister, she never got into the hunting end of it. She, you know, just kind of sit back and watched and enjoyed, you know, other things besides the hunting end of it. But um, you know, she could probably tell you a lot that, you know, that's I mean, we look forward to every hunting season, you know, whether it be squirrel hunting, rabbit hunting, deer, turkey, you name it, we was we was chasing it. So, um it's it's been something that's been around as far as I can, you know, as long as I can remember. So,
0: so when when you weren't hunting, you, you were fishing, and when you weren't fishing, you were hunting kind of thing?
1: Pretty much. We followed every season. Like, you know, of course, I live here on the coast, you know, around the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And, uh you know, all throughout the summer, we were fishing every weekend, you know. And, of course, any chance we had when we was out of school during school season, you know, every Saturday, Sunday, we were out fishing, if not hunting. So that's um, uh to look forward to besides sports you know of course i played baseball through college and stuff like that but okay um anytime i could hunt that was that was a, was a plus
0: gotcha dusty what uh what kind of questions do you have for doug
2: you know we're going to talk about your baseball there uh we heard that uh old miss tell us about old miss let's get into your education a little bit doug if you would
1: okay sure um you know of course you know high school down here in South Mississippi in Ocean Springs, of course, St. Martin High School, which is right here in Ocean Springs. And then went on to um, actually play college baseball. Uh, did pretty well. Um, went, played two years of junior college, Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College, and then went on to Ole Miss. And then um, went back and got my master's degree from University of Southern Mississippi. So um, I kind of bounced around. But I uh, really enjoyed playing baseball through college, and I think that's what really put me through college or, you know, led me in that direction. Because, um, you know, my, my goal would continue to play baseball beyond high school.
2: Yeah, that's excellent. Uh what did you say you picked up a master's degree?
1: Yes, I did. Yes, from the uh, University of Southern Mississippi, right here uh, about an hour from the coast, um you know uh, just north of Gulfport about an hour. And um actually went into when I got out of college actually, you know, when I got out of college, um, I went into coaching. So I went straight from instead of going on the high school level coaching, I started out at the junior college level. So you know, twenty five years old coaching in junior college it was kind of a pretty much a challenge and I really enjoyed it and which which encouraged me to go back and get my masters you know, my master's degree.
2: Right. Uh what what did you get your masters in, Doug? Uh athletic administration. Okay. Excellent, excellent. Doug, tell me okay. tell me about some of the 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 cast of
0: characters. Um, that you hunt with. Who is Sam Seymour?
1: That's my grandfather. Uh, of course he passed away about four or five years ago, but, uh, like I said, it's my grandfather on my mother's side and, uh, he, he was a true, true hunter. I mean, he knew all the tricks and the tricks of the business and, uh, that picked up a lot of, a lot of good pointers from him through, over the years.
0: Gotcha. What, uh, tell me about, let's open that up a little bit. What, what tricks did he teach you about?
1: Well, he, um he just knew, uh, he's a real, what you call a savvy hunter. You know, every time he went out, he was a very successful hunter because I think stuff that he picked up as a young child growing up, of course, like I say, back then it was a necessity. And then, uh, I sit back and just kind of watched him, how he hunted, hunted with him over the years. In fact, um, one of his, probably his final really good hunt to go on, he and I went down to South Texas and, uh, he actually took him on a hunt that he wound up taking his largest deer ever. So, um uh he um he really enjoyed that, and he thought you know at his age of eighty eight that he was done with the hunting and um I pretty much said, no, you got one more we're going so it was kind of a it was, it was a it was a journey you know went from South Mississippi all the way down to South Texas about eight hundred miles but uh he made the crack, and I really enjoyed it and got it on video, so that was very very special for my family to be able to sit back and watch that over the years that's awesome
0: i mean it's it always is a bit painful to lose somebody in your family like that um yes, he looks like he was uh one of those old-timers that just knew everything uh, that there was to know about the deer hunting um, and would only share it with certain kind of people. That's my impression That's of the correct. picture.
1: Is that, did I nail that? I, I, you nailed it. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> he was the type of guy. He, he was a man of very few words, but when he said something, we knew to listen because when he came out of his mouth, it was very important. Yep. He wasn't going to say it twice. So.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Um, tell me about Lori Thomas.
1: Yes. Uh, she, uh, she's hunted with me over the years and, um, she, uh, very good hunter from, you know, North Mississippi. So, um, you know, kill a few good deer and just enjoy the outdoors.
0: Gotcha. So it's, uh, one of your hunting companions that just likes, enjoys being outdoors with you and and hunting. Gotcha. All right. Now it looks like you have, I'm going to guess these are sons, DJ and Chase. Who are DJ and Chase?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, DJ is my son and Chase is my cousin. Gotcha.
0: Gotcha. And, And do they hunt frequently with you as well?
1: They do. Um, you know, of course, DJ, I started him out as a, as a young age, about eight, about like myself, about eight years old hunting. And of course, you know, by the time he was eight, nine years old, I had quite a few places, um, you know, around the world to hunt. So I just started taking him on hunts whenever I could. So he's been pretty fortunate to kill some real nice deer at, at a young age where, you know, myself, I really didn't get into deer hunting cause, you know, high school, first year in college and, and really started trying to learn about it where I was fortunate enough to be able to take him to some of these places that I've acquired over the years and, um, had access to hunt. You know, at a very young age, he, uh, he got to experience some real good deer hunting.
0: Very cool. Uh, so you're from the south, and yes. you hunt in Texas as well. So you're, you're traveling west to go hunt in Texas.
1: Pretty much, yes. yes. It's what, about, about a 700-mile track from okay. here
0: where we hunt in south Texas. Tell me about your accommodations there. Um, you, you live in, in Mississippi, correct? Yes.
1: Correct. And,
0: and then tell us about your accommodations in south Texas.
1: Well, what we've got, uh, we've got a, a series of nine ranches that we hunt, and, um, which consist of about 81,000 acres total. And know, uh, we've got a, uh, actually three primary lodges that we hunt in, and of course one main lodge. And uh, one of the main ones we hunt in, if we got say groups of six or less, we it's a four-bedroom, um, real nice lodge, full kitchen, full everything. You know, it's, it's it has all the amenities, and uh, it's it's more of a um, a home type setting. It's not a uh, you know ranch where you see a lot of places. You got you know 30, 40 people at a time, and they're all you know kind of just run through. This is a very personalized hunt. Uh, we, we hardly ever take more than six hundreds at a time, but it's a uh, it's a fantastic hunt, and the accommodations are really nice.
0: Now, is this property you own, or is this a property that somebody else owns?
1: It, it's other owners. It's nine individual. Actually, it's um uh, it's six individual owners that own the nine ranches. Okay. But, uh, I lease them out and then, of course, what I do on some of the places, they, uh, they invite us to come in and do some of the hunts, like where we take trophy deer, management deer. And a lot of times what I do, I get a lot of guys that come out to hunt, um, to shoot like the management style deer, you know, the deer that's, um, you know, four and a half, five and a half year old deer that's never really going to make, you know, super trophy deer. So we're on a very strict management program to take these type of deer out. So we do, like I said, we do trophy hunts, management hunts, uh, deer, turkey, quail, a little bit of everything.
0: So you're guiding people to hunt on these properties that you lease out from the the landowners. Is that correct? Yes, correct. All right. That's a good setup. All right. Tell us about uh, Mexico. Now, I think this is interesting because you go from Texas, which is the United States, but you've also got hunting experiences in Mexico and and Canada. Um, tell, yes. tell me about how. What are your accommodations in Mexico?
1: Well, Mexico, we've got about the same type of setup. Of course, um, the biggest thing about Mexico right now is all the trouble that's going on down, you know, on, on some of the border towns. But of course, you know, if you fly into Central Mexico and further down in, it's not as dangerous. But um it's a, uh, it's a, it's a very unique hunt. You know, the, the deer, especially the white-tailed deer, are very similar, similar to our deer. What we have in South Texas. But it's just the experience of going into Mexico, going into old Mexico and really, you know, uh, seeing how these people live down there, um, how they, they are actually, you know, it seems like in some of these, um, towns deep down into Mexico, like they're 50, 60 years behind everybody else just because mm. of the, uh, the inability of access to this things that we have that we take for granted, you know, such as air conditioning, um, you know, concrete floors. I mean, these people really re- live in a, very rugged situation but um we go in and try to make them you know they make us feel comfortable we make them feel comfortable and they got some of the best deer hunting in the world
0: it's interesting that uh, part of the hunt is actually and and this is a good point is that part of the hunt is not the hunt itself but it's the people that you get to spend time with that's right in this case it's not the people that you hunt with all the time it's the people who live in the communities that you're hunting
1: that's right And, and that's one of the the things I really enjoy about traveling around the world is getting to see the different lifestyles of people that, you know, things that we take for granted. It's just, uh, you know, we kind of see how other people live and, you know, some of them live on, in real good situations and some of them live in Pretty poor, you know, very um, very rugged situations, and of course they just they take it in stride. You know, it's just another day for them. But we get down there, and you know, we're ready to get back home to you know, see an air conditioner, and they've never seen one. So you know, it's just uh, it's amazing how so many these folks live, and you know, the, the things that we just take for granted. It's
0: amazing. So in contrast to Mexico, where you're hunting in a warmer climate, close to the equator, you're also hunting in Canada.
1: Yes. What are the pretty much one one extreme than another? <laughs> it's, an,
0: it's exact opposite extreme. So tell me about that. What, yeah. what, how did you arrange that that accommodation?
1: Well, um, several years back, around uh, two thousand and one, two thousand and two, some buddies ours we uh, we got together and decided to do a um, Saskatchewan, Canada hunt. And you know, I always heard about the big deer, and you know reading about the world record deer that was killed in canada and you know so we picked and choose some areas where these really big deer were coming from and uh got actually hooked up with some of the indian reservations and um it's a pretty neat hunt you know it's a it's a it's a rugged hunt it's uh one of these type of hunts where you're not going to see a whole lot of deer but when you see one he's usually a giant so it's um it's it's a totally different experience than what we have down in south texas where you know south texas and mexico you may see you know 150 200 deer a day we're up in uh, Canada, you know, of course, the weather conditions, you know, sometimes 20, 30 below zero, and you're lucky to see two or three deer a day. So, it's just a…
0: All right. Well, now but when it's, you, it's
1: still, you're you chasing big whitetails. So, well, it's, you know, you know what's there. It's just a little tougher hunt.
0: When you say 20, 30 below zero, are you meaning Celsius or Fahrenheit?
1: Fahrenheit. Okay. <laughs> it's cold, yeah. That's, That's cold. Several hunts we've been on where, you know, four or five, six days straight, you know, it never gets above 20 below. So it's, you know, it's, um, and he, and uh, we've always been told these real big deer the locals say, we're not going to hunt until it gets 10, 20 below zero. And now I know why, because these really big deer. They just will not move until it gets that cold. Of course, one of the reasons, you know, the deer's got to move. but not, he'll freeze to death. So they're constantly on their feet moving and, you know, uh, trying to keep the blood flow going. So, so it's a, it's basically a survival thing for some of these big deer up there.
0: That's kind of crazy to think that, and this this is always one of those things that blows my mind. Is that I live in a fairly cold climate, and uh, I'm in New Hampshire, and it's still colder in Canada. But to think, just some of the 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 winters that we have around here, to think that a deer can still survive in the temperatures that we get we get minus twenty sometimes, you know. And yeah. Those those would yeah. be the the most extreme days. Um yeah. But to think that a, any animal can live in that stuff always blows mm-hmm. my mind.
1: It's hard to believe. I know it. You know, and you think, well, you know, of course, you know, you, you take, you harvest a, you know, real nice deer up in Canada, and his furs is just so much thicker, his hide so much heavier, and. You think, well, that's good. But like you say, when you go, you know, two weeks straight with 25, 30 below zero, you just wonder how anything can survive up there. But but they seem to manage, And you know, one thing about it in South Texas where we hunt, we manage our deer, we have to take out the weak and, you know, we we select shoot our deer. Well, one thing about Canada, you really don't have to do a whole lot of management because nature takes care of it for you. You know, if he's a weak deer or he's not really built up to speed like some of these other deer, nature's going to take him out. So it's, um, it's a different world.
0: Absolutely, it's it. It is a totally different world in co- colder climates. No question about that. Um, Dusty, yeah. what other questions do you have for Doug?
2: Yeah, uh, Doug, we understand that you have a few trademarks and some patents under your belt. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you got going on there?
1: I do. I've got. Um, over the years, I've you know done a little tinkering around. And of course, I get that from my grandfather too. Uh, he's always creating something, and uh, I think I have kind of picked that up from him. And over the years, you know, just being in the hunting industry, you know, for one thing, South Texas, you know, tree stands are kind of a thing of the past because there's no trees. You know, everything, the only thing you'll be able to put a tree climber on or any kind of stand on is uh, pretty much a telephone pole. So um right. I designed a, a tree stand, a freestanding tree stand. Um It's a, you know, four-legged type deal where it, you can put it anywhere. And of course they do the spin offs of it with the tripod and that type of stuff. Um, but it's pretty much can be positioned anywhere as if you're hunting for whatever type of terrain you can adjust the legs for different heights and of course it folds down into a uh, a cart, like you know, once you harvest your deer, you can put him on it and cart him in and out. So it's a multi purpose um, type of deer stand. Yeah, hey, uh, of course. <clears throat> go ahead. And of course, uh, you know, one of the other, the other patent I had is a, a deer feeder. I, I, um, I, I designed a type of feeder that's a free choice type feeder where the deer can come up and eat when they want. You know, of course, you know, we set feeders out and some places we go hunt over bait and some it's not. But like in South Texas, you know, we can hunt over bait. And one of the problems we was having is these timers going out and things happening, you know, and of course up north, the weather, you know, eating batteries up and that type. So I, I designed a, um, a free choice type feeder where the deer can come and eat when they want which in a sense it makes the hunting a little tougher because you're not pinpointing him to a certain time when the feeder's going off and, you know, you're sitting there in a the support of feeding and get ready because here he comes, where this way the deer has an opportunity to feed all during the night, during the day, so he's kind of like man against the beast, you know, so to speak, so you're not just um, controlling him to come eat. He eats when he wants and You just got to try to figure it out. So it's uh,
2: Excellent. It's, uh, can, uh, you, it's, can you tell yeah? us uh, what the names of these and, and how somebody could check these out and, and get a hold of uh, some things that you've invented?
1: Yeah, uh, one of them is called the Revolver Feeder, and, um, it was, uh, actually, I sold the patent, not the patent, but the idea to, uh, Moultrie Game Feeders okay. over the years, and, um, and of course it's in some of the markets, and, you know, it's, it's, uh, 20, stop thinking older online. And then my, um, uh, my actual deer, um, deer tree stand was, uh, incorporated to a company called Old Man Tree Stand, which has actually gone out of business at the time. So it's, uh, we've done some spinoffs with other companies and, uh, you can notice they got the, the Texas feeders. I mean, uh, Texas game feeders, Texas tree stands. It's some of the patent processes are incorporated into some of these products as well.
2: Well, that's excellent. You know, it's good that somebody that's out there actually doing the work and the trial and error, you know, and a hunter as yourself is uh, getting involved and in improving on feeders and tree stands that can work in different situations for different states.
1: That's right. Yeah, I mean, you know, anything that can make the hunting easier, it's it's always a plus because hunters are always in a sense, we're starving for information, you know, trying to figure out, okay, what's the next thing that can actually help me bag the big buck or get that turkey, you know, and it's, we're always looking for something that's going to give us just a little bit of edge, and of course, you know, a couple of these products here, they actually give you a little bit of edge on, you know, whether it's a big edge or small, it's just anything that can go in your favor, it's uh, it's always a, always a help.
2: Oh, yeah, for sure, you know, and, and we're here at the Big Buck Radio, Big Buck Podcast, we're all for sharing information to, uh, improve the situation that uh, that you may have already got in and has experienced it and, and we try to get that information out so that if somebody else gets in the same situation, as far as like you in the tree stand, being able to fold that four legged tree stand up and, and haul your harvest out, that's uh, you know, that that's a luxury for the hunter
1: oh absolutely because you think about it you know sometimes you get you know some of the better places to hunt no doubt is some of the hardest places to get to of course you know you harvest a deer and you can't get back in there with a four-wheeler or um, you know a, a vehicle to actually get him out and of course you're dragging him across the ground well then you are taking a chance of, it's special rocky terrain you may you know mess his hide up and that type of stuff so anything to get you an edge to get in and out of the woods or you know you got to think about one thing of, of getting the deer but then what you're going to do when you get him so you know that's, that's, that's sometimes the hard part and you know a lot of times you gotta like especially like these big elk and stuff you gotta pack them in and out and sometimes this type of apparatus will
2: help out oh yeah, for sure that's you know that's excellent and uh glad to see you involved with uh a tree stand that, that can help out the hunter uh yeah. you know I, I heard you say something about a turkey a little bit ago and and if I ain't mistaken, I don't know if you heard this jay but i there was a spark there when you when you when when the word turkey come out of your mouth, there was a spark there like no other
1: <laughs> that's right <laughs> Tell i, actually, us about- I, I, I Tell uh, us about I your enjoyed-
2: tur- go, go ahead. ahead. I, I, I want to hear this because you're excited. This, this Jay, I think we've struck a nerve here, and he's getting excited <laughs> about turkey hunting. And I, I can sense it as soon as you started talking. I heard the word turkey, and it came yeah. out of your mouth. Yeah. Different We're- than any other word in that whole sentence.
0: Absolutely. We're stumbling over our words we can't eat. We're so excited. All right. Good. Doug,
2: yeah, go. I didn't realize that, but yeah.
1: <laughs> is, I didn't realize that. I love to turkey hunt. I would rather turkey hunt than any other kind of hunting that there is. And, uh, it's just, uh, it's a passion of mine. And, you know, one reason for it is just, you know, each year I do the Grand Slam, you know, which consists of the four species in the United States, you know, Osceola in Florida, the Eastern Turkey here in the Mississippi, you know, um, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana area. And then, of course the Rio Grande from Texas and then the Marion from, um, South Dakota, Nebraska. So I enjoy the traveling. You know, it's a, it's a fairly inexpensive way to hunt, but boy, is it exciting. I don't know if you guys turkey hunt a whole lot. I'm sure you do, but it's just, oh, yeah. uh,
2: I, I love the turkey hunt. Oh, uh, we can, I can tell just by the way your voice is toned. It's this, uh, this may be a, we, we're going to touch on this a little bit more. I, I like the way you're sounding here. And, uh, okay. tell us about your grand slams and how many.
1: Okay. Um, I've been fortunate enough over the years to, to be able to go hunt and to, to travel. And of course, some years it's really difficult. But over the years, um, I, I just turned 50 in June. And one of my accomplishments or goals was to get 50 grand slams before the age of 50, and I did it this year. So I, I wow. wanted the 50 grand slams at the age of 49. So, um, That's and then very, uh, of course, very impressive. Yeah, it, it, it was a challenge. I mean, it's a challenge. There's no words for it. I mean, it's just it's one of those things that it could have gone wrong a few times. It could have gone wrong a bunch of times, but fortunate enough with um, you know, I guess a few hunting skills and a lot of luck. It all panned out good. And of course, um, this year I also set the new world record for, uh, most consecutive grand slams, um, which is 28 consecutive years. And I started when I was at age 22, and, um, I'm still going. So as long as I now, as long as I can continue to keep going, I'll hold that record. So it's, uh, my goal now is just to keep it going. So
2: that's excellent. You know, that, that's, uh, accomplishment in itself. And, uh, you know, we applaud you for that.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Now, Doug, thank how old, old are you now? I've just turned 50 in June, this past June. Well, happy birthday. thank you it's excellent
0: i mean that's a big milestone 50 yeah
1: oh yeah yeah i just hope the next 50 is as good as the first 50
0: well heck yeah (laughs) um one of the the things i wanted to talk about now we're we're seeing we're on turkeys is um i have sources that are telling me that you actually harvested a six spurred turkey
1: i did and uh it was this year i'll I actually did the Double World Slam this year and um, went down into Yucatan and did my first, um, you know, for years been wanting to do the oscillated, which is the World Slam, which consists of all six species. And um, finally did it. Uh, my goal was to do the Double World Slam on video. And of course, I do my own filming, my own filming and my own hunting. Um, I don't really I've never hired a cameraman. I do my own stuff. So it's really made it a challenge. And uh, I was fortunate to take one of the birds I took down in the uh, Yucatan that had six spurs. Of course, at the time, when I shot the bird, I had no idea until I went and picked him up. You know, he's just a, an amazing bird. And uh, unofficially, we got, of course, we had not got him officially scored yet, but he should be number three in the world as far as uh, overall score and non-typical. So he was a real, remarkable bird, beautiful bird. So,
0: and from what I also understand is uh, living near the ocean, you also have some saltwater fishing experiences as well. Yes. Tell yes. us a little I bit have, about uh, some of those records.
1: Well, I've got, um, I hold, uh, 18 state records, um, which is supposedly what I'm told is, uh, more state records than anybody in the world. So I don't know if you'd classify it as a world record or not, but, um, I do a lot of hardcore uh, saltwater fishing. Um, I do very little freshwater fishing, but saltwater, um, uh, in fact, tomorrow we're going out, and, um, fishing some tournaments and, this, you know, for this weekend down here on the coast, but I do a lot of fly fishing and conventional tackle. So, um, I was fortunate enough in the past, um, about eight years, I've set, uh, 18 state records. So I still got a few more I'm going after and, Last week I missed one. Um, I missed a, um, what they call a triple tail a blackfish. Mm-hmm. I missed the state record by four ounces. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of close calls and some of them I've been fortunate enough to meet a few of them. Yeah. So.
0: Those triple, triple tails are interesting fish.
1: They are. They really are. Yeah. Yeah.
0: What now there's an interesting theme here and, and Dusty weigh in on this as well is that it seems like that there's a lot of, um, focus on records. And I don't, yes. we don't always see that in the hunters. I mean, there's the everyday hunter, there's the casual hunter, there's, um, but you seem to be focused on records. Where does that come from? Where does that inner drive come from to, to I think to, it,
1: I think it came from, if I had to guess from the competition of baseball, I mean, as a young kid growing up, you know, all for baseball is just, you know, such a competitive sport. And it's such an individual sport. You know, you got a lot of team sports, of course, baseball is a team sport, but there's a lot of individual. You know, guys like, for example, when I pitched, I was always trying to set as many records as I could, kind of, you know, so many strikeouts I could, get, how many people I could pick off bases or whatever. You know, And, of course, batting average—you kind of keep your average up and trying to beat everybody else out. So I think the competitiveness of it of my hunting came from the spinoff of you know my uh, baseball career. So
2: interesting. Okay, that that's, that makes a lot of sense. That that yeah. that feeds the drive. You know, if you've got the competitive edge in it. That makes it. you it makes you want that so much more than the average person
1: that's right, and you know like we always strive to keep you know our our goal is to keep kids involved in sports and outdoors and And like you say, they start out, a lot of kids start out sports at a young age and, you know, whether it's sports or not, as long as they're, they got that competitive edge, I think it carries them through life, whether it be hunting, fishing, um, or a a career move, you know, so it's just, it kind of gives you that extra drive to say, I'm going to do this or I can do this, you know, and it just, it starts at a young age. Gotcha.
0: I see that in my son now. He's he's super competitive. I mean, I can't, I can't walk five feet with him trying to, you know, duel me (laughs) on some kind of physical something or other. (laughs) You know, (laughs) racing to the, the Twinkie or whatever it is. Yeah. It's just a, it's just this constant competition. Um, and and he's got to win. And, um, and and when you're six, you cry when the other team scores and you cry loud.
1: That's right. (laughs) Yeah. And
0: and internally these days, when you lose, you still cry, but you just don't show it. Um, you've learned to control that as an adult. Um, but that it's, it's definitely one of those things I think you're born with. Um, that's it. I agree. It's just one of those things. Doug, what I'd like to get into a little bit is, uh, I'd like to cover a couple of hunts that you think are your most memorable. And I Mm -hmm. want to get into some details about those hunts. Um, can you, what's your best hunt that you can remember?
1: I think the most challenging hunt that I've done was a, uh, a, a Saskatchewan, Canada hunt that I've done as far as, you know, uh, as far as the whitetail world. is Okay.
0: You know. Yeah. Let's, let's relate it, it to uh, the whitetails. Um,
1: I think uh, it, uh, it, was a deer I'd, I'd taken, um, back in 2003. It was a, uh, a deer that we had on trail cameras you know, trail cameras were just getting popular and every you know, people were seeing deer and, uh, you know, such a, a long track from here to South Mississippi to Saskatchewan looking about 3,000 miles and uh the rancher had sent me a picture of a, a photograph of a big deer they'd seen and um started out hunting this deer in october hunted ten, twelve 12 days real hot you know of course you know what they call hot is you know what we call cold here but um came back home you know never seen the deer rancher calls me a few days later hey i've seen the deer again i fly back to canada Hunt him in november eight or ten days never seen him come back home he told me the last week of december I mean, last week of November, I'm sorry, and says, i seen him again. I'm thinking, this guy's pulling my leg. But, of course, he's showing me pictures of his deer. So I go back up there, 30 below zero for five, six days, and I finally get the deer. So, I mean, that was just a brutal, brutal hunt. But I was after this. My goal was to either get this deer or, or none other. And, and I passed on several, you know, 170, 180 class deer. In fact, one deer I got on film, He's probably 185 and let him walk just because I knew this other bigger deer was in the area. And then, you know, letting this other deer walk. I was thinking, I must be crazy. I m- my brain must be frozen. So, you know, it's one of them deals that, you know, finally I had a 10 day hunt. And I got him on the sixth day. So I was planning to stay 10 days. I didn't get him to go home empty handed, but uh, I was right. fortunate enough to get the deer and he went up scoring 207. Let's break, weighed,
0: uh, let's, bre- let's break this down a little bit more. <laughs> I want to, I want to get into some more details. All right. So you're, you're in Mississippi, yes. right? And you get this picture from a rancher up in Saskatchewan.
1: Yes.
0: And is it a friend of yours?
1: Yes, it's a guy I hunted with uh, the year prior too. Actually, done some elk hunting with him. And he was telling about the big white pill on his on his personal place. And uh, yeah, gotcha. he sends me this, he e-ma-
0: photograph of he this. Emails you a photo. Yes, from a game cam. And you're and yeah. what did you fall out of your chair?
1: Yes. Yes. <laughs> 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 Because the first thing I've seen was drop time. You know, I, I, at this point, I'd never killed a drop time deer. And that was one of my goals, is to kill something with a drop time or at least get an opportunity. And, of course, he showed me a picture of this deer. It's got a drop time, and he's he's over 200 inches. I mean, no doubt I was thinking he's going. this deer is going to break 200, you know, or wow. he's going to be pushing it. And, of course, you can't know, always go by trail cameras today, not the quality of, you know, what some of the video cameras we have now, but he was just absolute giant. You know. I had my heart set on this deer. So. Gotcha.
0: All right, so from the time that you got the picture to the time that you got on the flight. How many days was that?
1: Well, uh, he sent me the picture in early October, actually late September, and the deer was, had just come out of velvet, it looked like. And, uh, of course, I go up there around October 10th, 12th, and, you know, said I'm going to stay as long as it takes to get the deer. Well, then after about 10, 12 days, I, I got to go back home and go to work, you know. So, <laughs> Right. Um, I just thought, well, maybe this deer done moved on, and you know, and we hadn't seen him again, no more trail camera pictures of him. And, and, of course, I fly back home, and then, you know, a few days later, I get the phone call again, here he is, he's back, you
0: know so you head back up pretty,
1: head back up i do i get a i get a flight you know i was i thought i was done for the year and of course i get a flight and you know how it goes when you when you book a flight last minute the, the cost goes up about triple so yeah you know, here i go again and uh spend a few more days up there in early november um hunting this deer and you know seeing the rubs and wasn't sure if it was him or another deer doing it and the weather was just starting to get cold, you know, but he kept telling me when it turns 20 below, you're going to see the deer. He kept telling me, I thought, this guy, I don't know what he's talking about. He's just pulling my leg, you know? <laughs> well, yeah. It never got 20 below, never seen the deer. So here I go back home again, So
0: so how many days did you actually spend up there hunting before you actually got well,
1: a glimpse of this deer? The first the first trip was around, I think, 10, 12 days, something like that. Um, and then i come back. When I go back early November, I think it was seven, eight days. It was about, you know, another week and a half or so. And then i come back home, and then the final trek up there, which was uh, I actually wound up killing the deer on November 22nd. And, um, and then when I got him on the November 22nd, that was about the sixth day of the hunt. And I said, I'm going to spend 10 days up here if I get him, if I get him, or I don't. And he he beat me, you know, Gotcha. so um, I, I probably spent you know almost a, a full month hunting this one deer. I was going to you know, say from from the
0: him. if I'm adding this up correctly, it sounds like you you were up there for almost a month trying to get this yeah, one
1: exactly, deer. yeah, gotcha, yeah.
0: now, during that time frame you're 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 staying at a lodge, you're, you're there's some accommodations there, you've um, tell us about the clothing that you're bringing in. I mean, this sounds like, um, uh, is this free range or is it, is it enclosed? Yes. Okay.
1: Yeah, it's free range. It's, free range. It's about a 314,000 acres of a reservation. You know? So it's a lot of that deer that he can go anywhere. So it's go one anywhere. of the deal that he could, yeah. gotcha. So, <laughs> so a lot of things run through my mind thinking, you know, this deer is gone. Somebody didn't kill him. Nobody, nobody's, you know, just, um, you know, crossed the highway. He's gone. He's out of here. You know, sure. so a million things go through your mind and then, you know, you kind of lose hope, and then, then you start thinking about all the deer you let walk. Some of these other big, these other big giants that would normally be a trophy on anybody's wall, you know. Yeah. You so, of start second guessing. So it sounds
0: like I mean, in order to 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 harvest a big deer, you have to go where the big deer are. I think this is Absolutely. kind of a, kind of the thing I'm getting here. So That's have, right.
1: I mean, it, it's kind of like fishing. You know, you you're not going to catch a a tuna fish in a, in a bathtub, so to speak. You got to get out there, you know, 150, 200 miles out in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico to get the big ones. So it's, you know, yeah, it's sometimes it's difficult, but you got to go where the big ones are if you want to kill the big ones.
0: Absolutely. You spent a month hunting this deer. You spent how much? Ma- you three different flights, two different yes. flights, three different flights going three different up. Flights. Uh, Yeah, and you're staying mm-hmm. at at a, a a ranch up in Saskatchewan in November, yeah. about yes. Okay, and it's freezing cold
1: freezing cold well i mean of course the the first two tracks up there wasn't too bad but the the third time i went up i mean everything was just a total whiteout you know and the time i got there it was you know 18 16 18 below zero fahrenheit and it stayed that way the entire time until i actually killed the deer i mean there there wasn't no break in the future of the the weather getting any better but that's what the rancher told me he said you have hit it perfect now he said you either gonna kill him now or you'll never kill him because this deer is on his feet moving so he was right interesting
0: now when temperatures are that low I mean, when, especially when temperatures are warm in September and October, where I live, where Dusty lives, there are thermal climbs that you have to kind of weigh into your hunt and you have to read the, the scent patterns and you have to be a little more cautious. I think of the, the clothes that you wear. Is, is there any difference when it gets that cold? Do you have to be as concerned about scent with your clothing at that point?
1: Well, I think you do to a certain degree, but of course, you know, when it got that cold, I started hunting it out of a box blind, an insulated box blind with heaters. Of course, you know, I've got a suit that we wear, you know, it's an $1,800 suit that's designed for 60 below zero and you know, you, you think, why would you need this? Well, if you ever been up there in these conditions, you understand. You know, the the normal clothes that we wear down here in Mississippi that we think is cold weather gear is not. It's, you're not gonna make it with that type of stuff up there. I mean, this is sub-zero conditions that you just feel like you could die at any moment. It's so cold. So um, it's you know, as far as how the scent travels and um. I don't think it's as bad when it's that, that cold because these deer are just up moving, trying to survive and they're, they're in survival mode. They're not, they're, they're not as, I don't think they're as aware of their surroundings as they are when it's warm. They're just laying around and they just, you know, kind of, kind of in a relaxed mode. But when it gets this cold, they are in survival mode and they are moving to stay alive.
0: That's very interesting. What do you think about that, Dusty?
1: You no, know, that
2: cold weather, it definitely makes a difference. Uh, you know, even when it's down to 20 degrees here in Ohio. Yeah, the deer deer activity, uh, if you got any kind of food source around you, they gotta get them calories. Bottom line. They gotta, they gotta have it. They they will, they will not make it, uh, without it. And they will do, it's, it's like, uh, if we're starving, they'll go to the extreme, no different. We will to find food. And and if you're on food, you, you up your odds. I'm going to say by 80% if you're on food in cold weather.
1: That's right. You're exactly right. I mean, because you know, deer's only going to move for certain reasons and feeds one of the primary, no doubt. That's,
2: that's for sure. Yeah, and they got to have the liquid. They got to have some kind of water source. They got to yeah. have
1: some kind of nutrition
2: calories you know they're going to burn calories obviously going to and from a food source and and you figure out that they're going to lay up on a food source uh a little closer than normally they they don't want to they don't want to travel if you got a big bedding area and a food source wintertime hunting uh i'm sure no different in canada never been there uh dream hunt for me for sure i like to have a big chocolate rack on the wall uh definitely a dream (laughs) hunt i'm a little jealous right now doug but you know
1: uh
2: (laughs) it's okay But, yeah, yeah, food Mm -hmm. source and and cold temperature, man, there's a combination there that's uh, lethal. That's right.
0: I'm trying to visualize hunting in a, in a, a tent with what propane heaters is that what you're using propane heaters to keep the
1: little little floor heaters you know a little smaller you just screw to a bottle in the back of it Uh, yep that sounds
2: that sounds roughing it to me you know yeah yeah
1: Yeah, and and, you know and and really it's it's so brutally cold that all that does just knocks kind of the chill out of there it doesn't really warm the blind up by no means you're know, you still bundled up and you know you know once you hit 20 below zero you're supposed to be wearing goggles so your eyes really you know and you gotta continuously wipe your eyes because the water in your eyes will freeze up you know i mean it's it's kind of a serious situation but um you know, it it ain't like I I couldn't have gone back to the truck and, you know, just, uh, I've had enough, but it's a, it's a pretty
0: tough hunt. Yeah. I mean, it's like, um, (laughs) hunting in Antarctica or something. It's, it gets that that cold. And I mean, when your tears are, are like forming crystals, ice crystals, um, that that's cold, that's real cold. That's cold. And Mm -hmm. I can just visualize, you know, you got goggles on, you've got, you're like basically in a, sleeping bag i guess and with heaters and and an enclosure and you're just waiting that's right Um, and these deer got to move around just to survive and you're just you're trying to survive too i mean granted you can just walk to the truck and go back to warmth but
1: yeah uh, the deer can't do that yeah
0: but it's kind of amazing
1: it it was it's probably like i said that's probably one of the biggest challenge hunts i've ever been on because it wasn't just like you go out and hunt two three days till a deer this was a this was a month-long process and just in hopes of getting a glimpse of him yeah. you know and, you
2: know that, that's uh i guess you that's know,
1: where uh, persistence pays off you know that
2: that's a that's a earned buck right there that you earned that buck that's no doubt about <laughs> it that buck was earned uh, you know and that that's what makes it unique for yeah. sure you yeah. you earned it you went there you spent the time uh you know time is money in the whitetail woods and that's no doubt about it and and very fortunate you know lucky and uh, the capabilities to be able to hunt like that you know it, it it's rough on your body when you talk in them kind of temperatures you just, you oh, just it's figure, unreal. you figure in a factor on on the beat up your body is trying to you know for one you're burning calories just sitting there trying to stay warm that's oh, yeah. uh, you know that's a major accomplishment for sure
1: i mean you are you know you're tense the entire time you're sitting in the blind and of course you know, like here in Mississippi and Texas, we'll hunt mornings and hunt, you know, three or four hours in the morning and come in for lunch, take a break, and then lounge around a little bit and go back out that afternoon and hunt till dark. Well, Canada, you hunt from daylight to dark because it's such short days. You know, you may only have eight hours of daylight for the whole day. So, you know, you're in the blind hour before daylight and you're there till pitch dark. So um, it's a full day of stressful, tense, trying to, trying to stay warm for one thing. And trying to hunt at the same time, it's just uh eating up some calories big time. Yeah.
0: Doug, can you take us through the final thirty minutes of that hunt before you actually pulled the trigger?
1: Yeah, it was actually uh it was a morning hunt and uh, of course I got in the blind and that was the morning um I I'd, I'd been hunting by myself pretty much every day and every now and the rancher would say, I wanna go with you, I'll you know, i was sit in the blind with you. So that morning that you have know, a calling for thirty below zero conditions. And, uh he said, You gonna give him in the morning? I said, Well, I'm gonna try one more time. He said, "Uh, you mind if I go with you? I said, it's going to be cold. He said, that's why I'm going. He said, you're going to kill us buck today. You know, he was, of course, I thought, yeah, this guy, he's just, you know, he's saying this. Sure enough, we get there, I mean, it is brutal cold. Of course, we got it all on video. Was, I feel how cold it was. We had to keep the battery packs inside our clothes to keep the batteries on the cameras from freezing up. And, then, wow. of course, you know, we were sitting there, and all of a sudden, that morning, it went from about 20 below zero to 32 below zero with, not counting the wind chill. I mean, it was, like, brutal. And the deer were up moving. Like, it's like somebody turned a light switch on. And uh he said, we're going we're gonna to kill this deer today. And uh sure enough, the deer started showing up, coming out in this little uh, food lot in this little area that, you know, kind of staging area with a lot of scrapes and a lot of deer sign. And the deer started just pouring in from all directions where normally we're seeing three, four, five deer a day. All of a sudden this morning, there's, you know, here's 25, 30 deer out in the field and all around we could see moving in the, in the brush. So, uh, sure enough, here he come, you know, about 9.15 that morning, um, he come in to check a scrape. One of, one of the bigger does come in, you know, you know, urinated in the scrape and looked behind her and kind of moved off quick. And sure enough, here he comes, you know, so I take, take the battery out of my pack and hook the camera up and get it rolling. And he just walks right into the scrape, you know, does his thing, does a lip curl and I put it on him. So, you know, just one of those, when it finally happened, it happened quick, but leading up to it was just, you know, like I say, brutal. It was a month of, uh, anticipation. <laughs>
0: so, in and the, of course we go ahead.
1: And of course, you know, we get the deer on the ground and you know, we think, man, I hope he breaks 200. I think he'll, but you know, we back and forth talking and, uh, we go over and put our hands on him and he was just, there was no ground shrinkage, you know, walk up to him and the guy goes, that deer is 210. He's got to be. And he knew more, more about big deer at the time than I did because he sees them all the time up there. He's, I'm telling you, this deer is going to push 210 inches. And, uh, you know, of course the deer weighed 374 pounds. So that's why, you know, when, when you see a deer that big, body size and he's got he looks big his rack looks big you better shoot him because he's, he's about 20 inches bigger than what you think he's going to be just because of the sheer body size so, uh, Three, i walked up put my hands on him i just couldn't believe how big he was I mean,
0: 374 pounds that's a, that's a you beef. Know? That that's no deer. That's a beef.
1: That's a beast. <laughs> you know We're <what, laughs> like right here smokes. in Mississippi. If we kill one that weighs 160 pounds on the hook, that's a big one. I mean, you know, 160, 180 pounder. That's a, that's a nice deer down here. You know, to put your hands on one that you know is, is I mean, it goes from his shoulders to his head. It's like he does not even have a neck. He's so big. He's just unreal. Wow.
0: I I just can't even imagine a three. I mean, I thought 240 was big. 375.
1: Yeah. 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 And wow, we put him on we actually we put him on scale, I said we got to weigh this thing, and the guy told me said, so this is probably the big the heaviest deer I've ever seen taken out of this area, and they' not only score out, score wise with the rack but the uh just the sheer body size and then we put him on scale at three seventy four
0: dusty that's like me and you and another half of us together
2: right on you know tell all right. <laughs> yeah. while, we're, while we're on that this big deer two hundred plus tell us what it felt like when you put your hands on his on his rack
1: i I couldn't believe it I mean you know walking up to him, i'm you know we are sitting by and thinking. 200 and i've never put my hands on a 200 inch deer not even a deer that anyone else has killed you know we've killed just 170s, 180s and a deer one deer pushing 190 but to walk up and put your hands on a deer that's right at 210 inches you know and knowing that you just that i just shot him and you know it's like it was like it was drink come true no doubt you know it's, for sure it's hard I, to put it in words you know
2: 174 and seven eights here in ohio's biggest one i've harvested and i tell you what I was so pumped up that uh you know my blood pressure almost made me pass out I think. I couldn't imagine yeah. <laughs> what it was like with a with a 200 pluser. Uh I think they could probably hear me uh that earthquake may not have nothing on me if I shot something over 200 inches.
1: <laughs> Whatever incredible. definitely some hooping and hollering going on in the blind,
2: you know. <laughs> <laughs> For sure I I can, I'm, I'm trying to do a visual and it's a great one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Doug
0: is this, is this the biggest deer you've shot year to date both in inches and in weight?
1: Uh, body weight, yes. And um, I killed one in South Texas, a big non-typical. that wound up scoring 223, but he just had points going everywhere. It was, you know, it was one of these deals that we knew he was well over 200. We knew he was in a non-typical category. And uh he wound up scoring uh, 223. And then, of course, in Saskatchewan, two or three years later, I think in 2006, Six or seven. I took another deer up there that scored two hundred four. You know, but he wasn't as pretty rack. He was just kind of had a lot of non-typical points.
0: Gotcha. And um, the one. And then of
1: course my best Texas deer, as far as I considered, you know, quality wise, I I killed a deer last year that wound up being the largest ten point ever killed in the state of Texas. You know, he's a slick ten point that scored two hundred one. So that was a wow. So how many
0: how many over two hundred have you have you scored now?
1: I've got, I've taken six. I got six deer over 200. And then I've got a couple of 190s and, um, on down, you know. That's that's awesome. Man. Uh, it's, I've been fortunate over the years. And of course, put, you know, a lot of hunting time, a lot of time spent in the woods, you know, scouting, preparing. And that's what it's all about.
0: Our, our good friend Ed Waite from Buckmasters would love you. (laughs) He loves those big deer.
2: Definitely Ed needs, Ed needs to see you. Have you, uh, scored with Buckmasters? No, I haven't. No. Uh Gotcha. Wow, okay. Awesome. Well, maybe we can uh, get him hooked up with you. Yeah. 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 Um yep. that, that
0: that's an amazing uh tale uh to tell on the Big Buck Registry podcast. Um Yeah. That's mm-hmm. that's I'm still kind of visualizing the whole thing. I've got it visualized in my head. I can see this deer. I can see the 240 deer that I'm familiar with and then add another hundred and 37 oh, yeah. pounds. It's, it's, it's insane. I just I just, I just, I just, I I don't even know what I do now. Yeah. H- how did you get the deer out? Did you have the rancher drive in? Is it too snowy well, to get out of
1: there? How do you? Well, do we it? actually, um, we drove in about a quarter mile prior to the blind. In other words, and then we walked the rest of the way in. And of course, once we killed the deer, we couldn't get in there with the vehicle because all the snow and just you know the conditions. Right. So we actually went back to the farmhouse um, a few miles back and we got a four wheeler with a sled. And I went in with the four wheeler and put the deer on the sled and sledded him out. You know. Gotcha. So, and of course, I you know believe it or not, I, I rode on the sled with the deer. So. <laughs> Did you really? <laughs> yeah. Guys, if you, say, you can get on the four wheeler, and no, I'm gonna ride back here with the deer. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. <laughs> um, and uh, you got back to the ranch and they and they, they, uh, weighed it, scored it and all that kind of stuff.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. And of course, you know, news, news up there travels pretty quick because everybody knows everybody in the area. And, you know, next thing we know we're, we're in a heated barn, you know, cleaning the deer and all the neighbors were coming over, looking at him, taking pictures and, you know, they were all doing yep. and on. So. Right. And um, that's when I kind of really realized that I had killed a really big deer because of all the local ranchers that see big deer all the time, they were like very impressed with it. Gotcha.
0: And that's cool. Oh, that's very cool. And did that's re- you, did you, that's really up, cool. did you end up, um, uh, cutting up the meat and, and bringing some home kind of thing?
1: we did and, and of course what we do up here like we do a lot of elk hunting also up there and um you know, i brought some clients up you know after that and we started doing a lot of hunts and uh, we donate a lot of deer meat to the local natives you know a lot of the indians up there they um uh, they, they can hunt and you know, of course they don't have the means of the some of them really don't have the means of vehicle transportation and they're living kind of primitive so what we'll do we'll um uh, We'll take back some of the choice meat that if we decide to take some back, you know, to the United States, or we'll just leave the deer with the uh, local natives and they, they I promise you it don't go to waste up there. I mean, oh, guys, definitely not. You know, they, live no. off, they live off the land.
0: Yeah. You know? No, this is, this is how they feed themselves. Um, and That's that, right. that yeah. would, uh, so you brought some back and then you donated the rest to the ranch. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Um, yeah. is, uh, Jay, let's,
2: yeah, go ahead. That's real quick. Let's get into dynamic outdoors TV right, right okay. on Facebook. Let's. Let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, I'm going to do something for you right now. Actually, I'm I'm in the process of uh typing in and getting your link and I am going to share you on Chubby Tines Outdoors to send over some of my folks to uh give you a like and check out what you got going on.
1: Great. I appreciate yep, that.
0: And I'm going to do that. Dusty's pretty good at talking and typing. I'm not so skilled at that, but I'm going <laughs> to do that as well. Tell us more about Dynamic Outdoors. How did you go from being um a an outdoorsman a hunter, um, a guide to actually deciding to record your hunts on DVD and then putting them in a nice package. How did you get to that
1: point? Well, I, I actually started when I went to college, you know, in my first year of college, um, you know, I, I kind of, believe it or not, I set my schedule around my hunting, you know, as much as I could. So um, I started hunting on my own. That's what I used to hunt in groups. Like as a kid growing up, with all go with the grandparents and, the, you know, aunts and uncles and you know, we'd all hunt together, that type of stuff. Well I get off to college, I'm by myself, you know. I mean, my family's back home and I'm off in college. So I started hunting by myself and then I guess – I don't know if it was out of sheer boredom or just wanted to do something different. I started filming, you know, just started mm. filming some of the wildlife. I took a couple of courses on wildlife photography and just, you know, some of my electives, try to get some of those, uh get my grade point average up. And I really got into <laughs> it. <Yeah. laughs> right. So I really got into it, by, um, you know, by mistake or by accident, by taking photography classes, you know, and one of our, one of our um things we had to do for class was to go out and film something and on the outdoors, whether it be, you know, walking around campus, taking pictures and Of course, I go out in the woods and I'm filming deer and turkeys and everybody was like, oh, look at this, you got deer. You know, so I won the contest in class, so to speak. So that kind of sparked it right there. I'm like, hey, this, this is a lot of fun, you know. So then I started graduating into a little better cameras. And, of course, when I started, I decided to start trying to outfit and take people hunting and take other kids hunting and, you know, really got into seeing other people kill deer and really enjoying it and turkeys and all that i said well heck I might as well you know try to film the hunt for them while they're hunting i'm gonna be filming them so it just kind of no one really walked me into it i just kind of fell into it and know uh, over the years evolved into uh of course what i have now today dynamic outdoors television and uh we've got pretty good shows and you know we try to show more of the actual hands-on not a lot of how-to's but actual live hunting you know we try to show deer in the field and uh you know the from start to finish of you know the the capture of the video and the the kill and the you know the the, the heroes after and all that type of stuff. So over the years I've I have been fortunate enough to hunt with a few guys that's uh, in the industry and they showed me the ins and outs and a few pointers here and there and they actually suggested that I get the better cameras because of some of the footage that I had on these uh, not so high quality cameras when I first started they they kind of pushed me on. You need to get your, you know, you need to get the top of the line stuff. if you can afford to get it, you really, you got the deer, you got the turkeys. You just need to get it on better quality footage. So that, that kind of sparked me to really go into a professional level with it.
0: Gotcha. And how long has dynamic outdoors been around?
1: I started in uh, 1990. Um, actually when I was coaching, um, baseball, you know, for spring sports, when the fall I would, I would go out to Texas and, you know, kind of in between, you know, like Thanksgiving holidays and the Christmas holidays. And actually just started, uh, doing a little filming out there. And then I just came up with the name dynamic outdoors, you know, kind of top of my head. No, no real reason. And then just kind of started it very small and then started bringing a few clients out there. The rancher liked the way I hunted and he asked me to come out, you know, and spend the following year, you know, two weeks at a time instead of a week. So then when I got out of the coaching business, um, I went into the hunting full time. So gotcha. that's what I've been doing ever since.
0: Now, so that's 23 years of, of filming outdoor hunts. Yes. If my math is right on that. That's crazy. Yeah. That's, That's a lot right. of time. Um, it you, is, yeah. You've sent me three of your DVDs from season, yep. volume one of Deer Hunting, 30 yep. Kills in 30 Minutes, largest whitetail yep. ever taking, taken on film. Is that the whitetail yep. that you we just discussed?
1: Yes, that's right. Back in it was back in 2003, and that was at the time was the largest white tail ever taken on film. You know, as far as in the wild, right. and I'm sure there's been a lot bigger since. You know, right. some of these, you know, a lot of artificial inseminate type right. deer, and, and some in the wild. But at the time, that was the record. Right. I don't know how it still stands, but uh,
0: no, I have. Three. And as I like,
1: say, on the on the DVD, one of the things that we do is, you know, a lot of a lot of times when I get a DVD and a two hour tape, I will fast forward to get to the kill scene and get to the real heartbeat of the hunt, you know, so to speak. So when I put my DVD together, I thought, I'm just going to be all high impact. You know, um, every minute there's going to be some kind of heavy excitement on the hunt. So that's kind of what I focused on, the things that I like to see when I'm looking at a a, a hunting video.
0: Kind of like baseball.
1: That's it. That's right.
0: Yep. <laughs> you trim down That's all fair. the action in a baseball game. And what do you got? Five minutes. That's
1: right. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like when you get up and you watch sports center the next morning, you know, you get you, all bundled up in the, all the high impact action within 30 minutes.
0: Gotcha. <laughs> all right, one of the things I'd like to kind of touch on with your, your, uh, hunting, not only with dynamic, but you've gone hunting with some celebrities. Is that correct? Yes. That's you, right. Yes. Who That's have right. you taken hunting?
1: um mark drury terry drury the drury boys the Drury's, drury yep. outdoors yeah yeah, you know, they went mm-hmm. on in the hunting industry big time in fact they, they've they been a tremendous help to me as far as actually the video end and actually they are tremendous hunters i mean these guys not only have a good show and you know good entertainment but they really know how to hunt uh deer and turkey and uh, i have hunted with um uh the mossy oak crew we had the uh Remington race team at one time when Remington had the race cars, NASCAR and all that. Uh, we brought all those guys out. We had, um, several sports riders, 32 sports riders and about a 30 day stretch, you know, of, um turkey hunting. Uh, Brett Favre, um, quarterback, you know, running yeah. quarterback, several teams. Uh, he's hunted with me several years. Um, I didn't I realize he was him on, a
0: hunter. That's interesting.
1: Oh yeah, big time. Yeah, and I actually put him on his first turkey ever. So that was kind of a, a that's, you know, that's that's a really cool feather in my cap. You know, he he never turkey yeah. hunted before, and that's the first time he ever turkey hunted. And we got him a real nice bird. And, uh, but I've been fortunate enough over the years to hunt with quite a few um, good people in 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 the industry. You know,
0: oh, that's very good. And, cool. and
1: learned a lot from these guys. I mean, you know, I, I'm I, I like to sit back and listen and kind of take corners from the guys that are really good at it.
0: Yeah, and, well, Doug, it sounds like your first fifty years on the planet have been extremely interesting. And they have, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh you've got some records behind you. You've, you've hunted with some amazing people, um celebrities yeah. and and other people that are not celebrities. I um, sounds like just as interesting. Um that's it's just a very cool life.
1: Yeah, yeah, I've been I've been fortunate, no doubt. You know, yeah. You know, of course, you know a lot of bumps and bruises along the way, but that's part of it. You know, if, if you're not really, if it's if it's not if you if you have to fight for it, it's not worth fighting for. So it's right. you know it's something that you get out there and you grit your teeth and say I'm gonna do this. And sometimes you fall over backwards and sometimes you move forward. Yeah. So it's just one of those deals you never give up. Yeah, that's you know, that competitive edge. Yeah.
0: Now I want to do a little. You sent me three DVDs in the mail. Yes. Um, I'd like to give them away to anybody or just some people that are listeners uh, in particular. Yeah. Um, okay. And I think what I'd like to do is the first three callers to call the Big Buck Registry Hotline will be the winners of the three DVDs. And right. I, I think that's the kind of way we should do this. Uh, it is 724-613-2825, and that's the 2825 ironically spells buck. If you type it in. So it's 724-613-2825. All you got to do is call that number. Tell us that you listened to this podcast and that you would like one of Doug Borey's Dynamic Outdoors DVDs volume one. And we will send that to you. Um, so we've got three to give away. So first three callers to call and say, we would like a copy of the DVD and we will, we'll put a picture of the DVD on our blog and on Facebook. So and we'll, we'll make sure that everybody gets to listen to the DVD, or not the DVD, that the show gets to participate in the contest. So the first three callers will, will be eligible to receive the DVD. Um, Doug, this has been great.
1: Well, thank you guys. I, I really appreciate it and uh, really enjoyed talking with you guys, and hope you all have a tremendous season this year.
0: And same to you. And, and we, hope, uh, we hope everybody out there has a tremendous season, all of our community and our listeners, and, and be safe definitely out there and uh you know hopefully a bunch of every all of our listeners get to go see ed Waite and get get uh their deer scored hopefully they become eligible for that um well doug i'm gonna i'll let you go but thank you for spending uh an hour in, in of your time and telling us all about your experiences and everything you've done over the last 50 years and we can't wait for the next 50 years this is great
1: i hear you i surely certainly appreciate you guys and uh let's see Good luck, and make sure everybody that's listening be sure to take a kid hunting and fishing.
0: Awesome, well, excellent, tha- yes. Well, thank you, Doug. We'll
2: we'll catch you again. Good talking okay, with you, thank Doug. You. Good luck.
1: I'm here. Bye bye.
2: So that was amazing. It was amazing. I am uh, very pleased to talk with Doug about uh, you know his first fifty years and and the hunting. It, uh, he's he's got a lot going on. A lot got got a lot going for himself. That was uh, the guy has has hunted with celebrities.
0: He's hunted all over the world. He's he's got who knows how many records. Turkey fishing, deer. What a guy! I'm just, yeah, just, what a great guy. Yeah. So I think we need to help him. I think we need to help him get some Facebook likes. I'm gonna post it on the Big Buck Registry. I Think you just posted on Chubby Tines.
2: He has posted on Chubby Tines, yeah. and you know, and go check him out. Uh, get him some likes. Help build his Facebook page. And uh, you know, if you got a chance to talk with him, definitely talk with him. Uh, great. Great dude right there. Yep. And if, uh,
0: if you want to enter the contest to win one of the three DVDs again, all you have to do is call the Big Buck Hotline, 724 613 2825 or 724 613 Buck. So if you just type that in. And if you want to reach out to Doug, uh, you can go to his website, which is dynamicoutdoors.net. Dynamic is spelled D-Y-N-A-M-I-C outdoors.net uh that's his website and just uh if you want to check him out on facebook we're going to send links through our facebook pages but if you want to just search for it on facebook it's just dynamic outdoors um wow what a great show
2: it was very exciting uh you know that's uh a guy that everybody can enjoy listening to.
0: Yeah. He's uh he's definitely uh, at the top of the charts and somebody we really haven't heard about yet. And despite him being in it for 23 years. So I think, uh, I think it's time he gets a few accolades because there's certainly other people out there that ha- are, have shot smaller deer um that are getting a lot more accolades. So uh,
2: I think we help him out. Oh yeah, for sure. Definitely.
0: Yeah. Well, Dusty, I think this is a wrap, man. I think we've come to our final hour and, uh, think we should uh, say goodbye
2: i am pumped up to be in the studio and uh you know folks keep tuning in we're going to keep doing these podcasts big buck registry big Buck podcast i hope we enjoy it be safe out there good luck to everybody jay have a great night and we'll see you on the next round all right i'm jay scott and you're dusty phillips we'll see you next time right here on the big buck Registry's
0: big buck podcast